Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 152 on the com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are available via the website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, you are with us. We're recording this on a Friday today, so um, it throws the week and the, the internal body clock or whatever when I'm not doing a podcast with you on a Thursday. So um, why couldn't you do the Thursday and what's happening today, Friday? I'm trying to remember why. Oh, yeah, I had to work out at a specific time yesterday. My trainer could only do a specific time and it uh, it didn't work with our normal time for the podcast, so yeah, I moved it to the next day. I'm sure that's very exciting for everybody. Sorry, I spent 30 seconds explaining it, but uh, still waking up, and uh, yeah, uh, happy to be with you here today on Friday. So essentially, your personal fitness, health, and well-being is a priority over this show. You got it, buddy. Okay, good. Just, just so we know. <laughs> Just so we know. Um, okay, yeah. so what else has been happening in Alex land? Anything good? Not, not, not a whole bunch. Uh, I mean, a, lo- a lot of things are good. I went upstate with my girlfriend last weekend, and that was a blast. Uh, two of our friends got married, and I got the idea this is how you're supposed to do a wedding, mm. which was they essentially the procession was 15 minutes, and then everybody got completely smashed. Uh, it was one. The groom was Australian, so there was lots of Aussies playing Aussie rules football. Uh, the the bride uh, was really into yoga, so there was free yoga. There was a uh, there was a tavern that they were doing it at. Or I don't know if you call it a restaurant or a tavern. And they had a nineteen. 08 bowling alley it looked like you had to ra- rack up your own pins yeah and yeah. everything was uh non-electronic but they had it set up so you could just if you were at the end setting up the pins you could just put the ball in this one receptacle and it would carry with gravity all the way down to the other end of the lane so we were just taking turns uh bowling i got really lucky nobody in the restaurant was using it and I walked up to the guy. By the way, the kitchen was right in the bowling alley, which was really bizarre. <laughs> and so I walk into the kitchen, and everybody can see me. And I say, hey, uh, you know, what is it, $12 for 15 minutes or something like that? And they go, no, it's completely free. And then I said, well, why is nobody using it? And they said, I don't know. <laughs> so I grabbed a ball, and I just threw it down for the hell of it and obviously threw a strike while everybody was watching because I run that good. Mm-hmm. And proceeded to not roll a strike for the next two nights, but uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. It, it was uh, it was a blast getting to know my girlfriend's friends, and they're all really kind people. Nobody got you know how at every wedding there's one guy gets a little too drunk and decides he's going to tell somebody what he really thinks about him dating Maggie when they were all friends back in college. Like there was nothing like that, yeah. which was really nice. Yeah, that's good. And. Yeah, it was pretty good. The Australians were absolutely hilarious. Uh, there was a little movie theater in the town from the 40s. Uh, we got to go to that. There was a lake to walk around, old train tracks. It, it was just pure Americana. And I ate more food than I've ever eaten in my entire life. And it was glorious. 
So, yeah, now I've been training three days in a row to essentially work that off and be able to think again. It's crazy how much diet affects your mood. I've been in a really dour mood for the last couple days. Obviously, it's easy to be in a good mood when you're eating exotic cheeses and hanging out Mm -hmm. with your gorgeous girlfriend and her beautiful friends who are all amazing people. But then you get back home and you're stuck in your apartment uh, outside of Newark, New Jersey, with two dogs yipping at your heels, and you got to work from 12 to 10 every day and you, you start getting in a bit more of a dour mood <laughs> and yeah eventually that but yeah the more i lift weights the better a mood i'm in yeah i don't even yeah. really care about the weight loss i mean i am losing weight but i'm not it's it's more just about feeling better and that's really just i want to be healthy now i'm at the age i realized when i was really doing well in poker i was doing distance running and for a long time, it felt like my body was tailored to that. And I would run six, eight miles before a poker tournament. And then as I got older, I guess I broadened out a little bit and I got a little, well, I probably got heavier. And it feels much better to lift weights now than it does to run. And it leaves me less sore. So it's really nice to finally work with somebody who can tell me how to do it properly mm-hmm. without hurting myself. Yeah. And I saw the picture of the suckling pig on Facebook. Yeah, I saw you were pretty into that. Yeah, it looked good. I had one whole bite of it. I would have just just grabbed the whole thing and ran off into the woods with it. (laughs) (laughs) I know you would have. No, I I, I had to be the weirdest guy at the party. They brought around the trout, and I, I ate three slabs of that, and then... I had five coffees back-to-back while everybody else was drinking. So, yeah, I definitely was the oddball at that party. Didn't drink a drop of alcohol the entire weekend, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yep. Uh, so, Barry, that doesn't sound too nice. You all hear that? No. It's... Barry, I'm getting fit. I feel great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, it's good to hear. No, the thing is with the drinking, it's like the last wedding I was at. I I drank a few, but I didn't get drunk. I didn't get smashed. It's like, you know, you know, it's I don't really do that. Now, even when I do drink and drink, I sort of when when you're consuming alcohol with food, man, it takes a lot for me to get drunk properly. Drunk, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. If I go and don't really have much to eat, you know, an empty stomach, the old thing, if you start drinking on that, it's, you know, it's game over. Mm-hmm. You, you get right into it. You drink easy, but before you know it, it's got a hold of you. When I'm having little nibbles and then maybe food at a wedding and stuff like that, I never really, I get that sort of drunk stage where you're like, I'm not really drunk and you just sort of feel a bit tired and a sore head now and it's not fun. So Right, yeah, yeah when you get older... I drank more alcohol in Malta than anyone needs to drink their entire life, and I am done. I have retired. And when I have drank socially, the few times I've done since uh, my legendary days, uh, I I get like you. I just get tired. I get into a bad mood. I say crap I wouldn't normally say. Like not. It's it's never racial slurs or anything like that you know i'm not mel gibson you don't need to drink for that you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh uh it's just i just i get in a dour mood and i you know one day i got into a fight i just didn't want to get into with someone i cared about and i realized i was a little hungover from the day before and i said that's it like i'm not doing this anymore and it's i have no problem with people that drink i if you get drunk around me, I'm glad I'm just there sober in case, you know, in case you decide you're going to drive the Firebird or anything like that. Yeah. But, it, so, oh, yeah, I'm giving away my dogs, too. I guess that's the other thing that's happened since we last spoke. Yeah, I read that. I read that. It's, it's sad, but sounds like it's the right thing. Yeah, well, the new owners, <laughs> I was saying to my girlfriend, God, I wish... I wish they could just go to a retirement community because they're so good with my mother. They're so good with uh, people in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. Uh, They just dote on them. And then people just end up doting on them because they're so nurturing to people. And if they're not getting doted on, they get really mad, which has been... 
which has been the case since I moved here. They're kind of trapped in a tiny apartment, and they're just scratching at the door. Uh, they made a nice little hole in the door, which I'm sure I'm going to get to pay for uh, when we get out of here, when I get out of here. And, yeah, the new, but, yeah, I was saying it'd be nice to take them to a retirement community. And uh, I put out a little ad, and I was kind of like, you know, holding back tears as I wrote it. So it came off a little bit more pathetic than I meant it to be. And that didn't get any responses. My girl said, you know, step aside. And she wrote some ad copy to a smaller group. It felt like ad copy. It was just so perfectly worded. And within about 20 minutes, this couple from a retirement community two hours away said, yeah, we would like to take them. And I went, this isn't real. I thought it was a joke at first, right? I thought you're just pulling my leg. But yeah, and they've sent me this email, and they had, like, 20 questions. Like, now, do they prefer bones, or do they like toys? And I was thinking, yeah, you're going to be a much better parents to these dogs than I ever was. Yeah. Uh, they can chew on my foot if they're being good. <laughs> did, now, do they sleep in a bed of their own, or do they sleep on your bed uh, under the desk if they're good? But, yeah, it, it, it's really nice to find a good owner for them. So. Yeah. I was sad about it for a while, but uh, I guess if I ever really want to see them, I could just take the train two hours, and I don't know. I've never had a problem going into retirement communities. That does It's not really a stereotype, like, oh, we never get visit. We get visitors all day here at the retirement community. Oh, God, why are you bugging us, yeah. right? People usually want you to come by, and yeah, if I really want to see them, I can. I'm sure I'm going to get lots of photos of them lugging around and falling asleep on some grandfather's belly while he watches the PGA Tour. So, things are good. Good, good. Um, okay, I know Alex is a little bit pressed for time today, obviously with his busy schedule between keeping fit and uh, making strikes at weddings. Um, so, <laughs> uh, let, let's get into the questions. Um, you actually reminded me. I played on an old bowling alley like that, and I think it was, oh, I think it was on an old uh, like camping, like the entertainment place in an old camping and caravan in sight um, up in the north of Scotland somewhere. I just remember the little ball was smaller, and it comes down the bit. You know, like you say with just gravity, it comes back to you. Oh yeah, you can do it and stuff. But were you playing the Italian game? Uh, like the thin pins or whatever it was, um, that one. Yeah, with the no, it balls. wasn't that. No, it wasn't that. It was like ten pin bowling. It was set up like. Oh, uh, it was, it was ten pin yeah. normal bowling. Yeah, it's pre it's pretty neat, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I'd only seen it in uh, There Will Be Blood, and yeah, it was a slightly different setting uh, seeing it at a wedding. All I but, can remember yeah. about that holiday is we got there, and the first thing me and my brothers would do would be go to the arcade and see if there was fruit machines to play, you know, slot machines. <laughs> and we ran in, and this place didn't have one. It was just arcade games in this bowling thing. And we were gutted. We were there for, like, a week or ten days or something. And it was like... Those are, those are slot machines, yeah, by the yeah, way, slot everybody. Machines, for those yeah. of you who don't know. Yeah, 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 not machines that you put money in and get fruit out. Definitely not in Scotland. Um <laughs> So I was like, oh, there's no, we're not going to gamble, you know, so we had to just play, like, the, the standard arcade machines, but there was some stuff there, oh, yeah. some classics and that, but, yeah, poor, poor me, I didn't have a slot machine for 10 days, whatever. I, that actually, I just grew up in arcades, Kenmore Lane's arcades and stuff like that, that was part of the reason I got into poker, is there was a normal arcade right next to the card room at Kenmore Lane's, and... I would just see it every time when I went in. And then, you know, at one point, you look kind of ridiculous playing uh, uh, 1942 in an arcade when you're 18, so you kind of just bump over to the card room. And it, it it's so sad to me that you wanted to play slot machines. What is the allure? Uh, we were addicted. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, when you get when you hit it on the mark, Barry, you hit it on the mark. There you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was yeah. the allure. Uh, and then, yeah, just you know, for for years in our teens, that's what we just went arcades and played slot machines, and that was it, you know. But they're different from the American ones. I'm not going to go right into it, but they're more fun than American ones. Like as oh, a yeah. kid as well, there were lots of different bits and bobs you did, and you know, we were always looking for for little edges and some of them actually you could you could find certain edges at certain points where it was actually profitable really? to play yeah yeah some of them 
Um, but ah, oh, just lots of stuff. Anyway, off on a tangent. Your time sensitive. It's Friday. Yeah. I don't want to do this either. But let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the worst podcast ever trudges no, on. No, it's, it's the worst or best. And the people who think it's the best still listen. So we thank you for that. Okay, and the I people that think people it's the worst, they stopped stop listening long ago, the people that think it's the worst. So they're gone. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Let's get into it. Uh, okay, the first one is we're going to go from Matt. Hello, I've been playing a lot of Six Max cash games recently on both Poker Stars and ACR. I have a job, but keep my poker bankroll separate. What would you suggest for a number of buy-ins for 100 NL, 200 NL, and 400 NL? Also, any quick tips you could offer on general for these type of games would be great. Uh, thank you, whatever your name was. Matt. What was his name? Matt. Martin? Matt, M-A-T-T. Yeah. Like, I, this isn't a joke from last time. I just, I'm completely blank. Thank you, Matt. I, I really appreciate you writing in a question. Uh, 400 NL, how many buy-ins don't play it? 400 NL on poker stars is really, really difficult. Uh, I think you're going to be you're going to be playing poker just to give you a perspective on how tough it is. Most of your competition will have been playing 2550 years ago, uh, so they're they know their stuff. Uh, 200 NL, well, and I, I guess if you're playing Zoom, that's one thing. But uh, I, if you're playing Zoom, there's certain marks, but I'd really work on your GTO strategy for when you're playing against regulars. And if you don't have that down pat, I, I really wouldn't play. Now, 1-2, no limit. Uh, I, I, I used to always go with 50 buy-ins, and if I had a 10 buy-in downswing, I would just move down limits until I had 50 buy-ins again to go to the next one. And that was when I was working off of a more protected rule. When I was playing uh, 100 NL, 200 NL, and 400 NL for a living, uh, people thought I was a little nuts, but I had 100 buy-ins. Uh, but you got to remember, I was 16 tabling and stuff like that. But I still stand by, the more buy-ins you can have, the better. Because the more relaxed you're going to play, the better you're going to play. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I was making money hand over fist when I was playing 100 NL, 200 NL, and then you get to 400 NL, and that's that's when you start playing against the regs, and the regs are very good at cash games. The tournament guys always get really mad when I say this, because they go, oh, you know, tournaments are just a different beast. Uh, the best tournament players are as good as the best cash game players. No, that is complete hooey. Uh, there's a reason why Doug Polk is so good. I would never take the best tournament player in the world versus even the 24th cash game player. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, I do talk to a lot of these guys, and when I listen to the cash game guys talk about poker, it's very illuminating, whereas maybe I'm a little biased, but a lot of the tournament guys kind of seem like they fell into the rule. Uh, obviously, if you're talking to a guy like Ape Styles, that's a little different. Uh, that That's somebody who really... Did, Anything he put his mind to, he would have done really well. But many of the tournament guys only hang out for three years for a reason. And when you play cash games, once you get to about 2-4 is when you really got to be, you know, you're working with, uh, you know, Pile Solver and you're working with uh, Card Runners EV all the time and you got to really manage your frequencies and you got to take scrupulous notes and you're really bum hunting a lot of the time, which can be very fun, but it's a great deal of work, whereas many guys, let's be honest, many guys show up and they're not going to, you're not going to do 100% every day. Uh, Lance Armstrong did not train, well, I guess he never trained 100%, but uh, back before we knew he was using steroids and he was still a hero to us in the United States, but uh, back when we really cared about what he was doing, he, uh, he would go 70% most of the year, and then he would take specific months where he was going about 50, and then he would try to peak around, the, you know, the Tour de France, where, whereas a lot of guys who were just going full on out all the time for every small race burn themselves out. And I do believe you have to have an A game, and if you, if you don't have an A game, 
if you don't try to if you don't try to run through first on every possible single like Jose Altuve, you're not going to know how to run through first. It's not going to happen. That's a baseball analogy, Barry. Sorry, uh, but it, you got to go for it. But a lot of times you're just not going to have your A plus game and. I think a lot of us, if we're not on our A game, are just going to get destroyed at the higher limits. Whereas if you're playing really good poker at 100 NL and 200 NL, you'll, you'll make money. And really good just means, you know, 90%. You want to stay up in that top, your A, a game, right? Uh, but it doesn't mean you're going full on out. Uh, there will be times, if you're playing a four-hour session, I don't care who you are, you're going to get tired at some point. And if you're playing with straight killers, they're going to take advantage of that at some point because they've just trained much more than you have, I assume. And I'd really get off of Poker Stars if I were you. There's so many networks out there you guys know nothing about. Just ask around. Every one of my students, I always go, how do you have all this money? And they say, oh, there's a local site in Sweden. There's a local site in Canada. There's a local site in Iran. And there's a local site in China. And they go on there. You know, can your money get taken? Yeah, happens. But with Bitcoin these days, it's a little less likely. You can get your money out pretty quickly. And if you can't get your money out pretty quickly, you're going to hear about it pretty pretty promptly in the forums. You can also keep small amounts on every site. That's a possibility. But a lot of my money didn't come from MTTs when I was 20, 21. It came from a Russian site. And I was lucky enough to come into that site very early on before the Russians became the Russians in poker. And I think seeking out good games is also a pretty good deal. And if you're going to if you do insist on playing on the international sites, I would just make a list of the 20 regs who play the most, and I would start deconstructing their games in your database. Uh, I find database analysis to be the most exciting part of online No Limit Hold'em. I, I get very excited about it. It's uh, very, I'm very excited to play poker. Just kind of a side note, but I'm, I'm really excited to play poker coming up on this year. Like, the, the more I work out, the better I feel. And I'm thinking of just renting out, it. when I find a good Airbnb, just renting it out for three, four months and just paying my trainer ahead of time three, four months uh, and just, like, going for it, you know, just having, like, a few months to not worry about a mortgage, not worry about the rent on my other businesses, not like I had to in Costa Rica, like, buying equipment, for a physical therapy clinic, all that stuff. I just, I really want to play because it's very, it, it's very exciting once you get into the databases because it feels like if you've ever read the sports page on a Sunday morning and you see what all those guys are putting up, uh, you know, this guy has this stat, which means this, and this guy has that stat, which means this, there's, I can tell you guys what stats actually work. I, I have no problem telling you because most people just won't use it. Most people don't do the work, quite frankly. I have lists and lists and lists of things that poker players should do, and they just don't do it. And then I even condense it to a couple lists, and I just say you have to make this a habit, and people don't do it. And if you can just go through them, you'll, you'll, you'll do really well. I, I, I don't know how to explain this, Barry, how frustrating this is. It's like if making a lesson plan on my free time. Like, I don't get paid for that. I mean, I guess I get more students because I take time to make lesson plans. Giving it to somebody uh, when I damn well could have sold it to them, but I just give it to them. And having them just not apply it. Just not. That, that's very strange. It's very. And the weird thing is, uh, my my girlfriend teaches at a kickboxing studio. When they do something wrong, like they know it. It's like okay, throw a jab. Now they throw a right hook. And then no, I, I said throw a jab. I'm living in a world a lot of the time where I go throw a jab, they throw a right hook, and I say you threw a right hook, and they go no, I didn't. 
I'm go. I'm looking right now at it. You didn't do it. There's a lot of times. The, the one thing I say a lot of the time is fill out these sentences. Right. I'm betting X as a bluff because I, which needs to work this percentage of the time because these hands will fold. Right. Yeah. If you yeah. do that, you will be good on many, many hands. But uh, anyways, going back to your question, if you want to be better at no limit hold'em cash games. The other thing I want you to be careful about is do not. I, I was going to wheel this around. Sorry, sorry for the the bit of a digression, guys. But uh, you want to make sure you don't get into autopilot mode. That was the biggest problem I saw uh, with myself as well when I was playing cash games for a living. Is you do if you're beating the games, you just think like, okay, I'm doing well. I just got to show up and play. No, 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 no. Every day test your assumptions. Every day, I guarantee you. You could be running good with your autopilot. Uh, I guarantee you there's leaks in your game. Everybody has leaks in their game. I still, to this day, review my play every couple of weeks and find things that I'm forcing I shouldn't be doing and stuff like that. So always make sure that you're going through this. So that's the number of buy-ins I would go with. Uh, Working a day job, I think it's even more important that you... I think it's even more important that you find softer networks. If you're from Europe, there's usually some local site that you can play on, uh, as a lot of you listeners are from Europe. And increasingly in the United States, we're finding more local sites. In Canada, you have lottery sites and whatnot. Try to find that because you need to be making as much money per hour as possible because you're not going to have all the hours to put into this that a lot of people have. And you got to make sure you're doing that two, four hours a night. And there's going to be nights you're tired. It's not going to be really fun after a while, uh, especially if you've lost eight sessions in a row. It's really hard to get back to that computer on the ninth one. And a way to think of it, a, a, a way to think of it is just what what desire is stronger here. When people say that. Uh, there's this book called The Confidence Gap. They describe it uh, that I've been reading recently. And they were talking about if you're not showing up to practice, it's because your desire to sit and watch TV and get that instantaneous reward is actually stronger than your desire to get in there and train and be frustrated and be tired and possibly lose money on a given session. There's no such thing as I'm not motivated. If uh, motivation, a lot of times motivation is illusory. Uh, illusory. Sorry, I was going to say a word in Spanish and then change it at the last second. Uh, uh, it, it, motiva- if you want to get motivated to do something, just start doing it, right? Uh, your motivation, your confidence will come after you begin. Uh, anytime you, I get a lot done because I don't let myself think about it. If I'm about to go play a session <coughs> uh, and I don't want to, just I know everybody says like it, it's you shouldn't play if you don't want to, but I, I think once you're once you've played cash games for a long time, it's going to be really hard to find a day you're really into it. And the best way to do it is just five, four, three, two, one. Go into your warm up routine. Don't don't even think about it beyond that. Uh, those are the things that really helped me when I was playing cash games for a living. Uh, I hope they help you. Good luck to you, Matt. I would say just touching on something that you said there, Alex, as well. You used the analogy of kickboxing or, or boxing or something, you know, whatever, and mm-hmm. with poker. And it just comes back to what I think is the problem, or not the problem, um, the problem for some people, but just the issue with poker is there is this large percentage of luck over the short term and short short right. run. So, you know, if you go into a fight and you're not technically down against a certain fighter and you're throwing the wrong punches at the wrong point, you're going to get knocked out, like, pretty much guaranteed. Or you can't defend yourself, etc. Or if you turn up at um, golf and you're playing in the Masters, if you're not technically good and got the fundamentals, you're going to look like an idiot on TV and mm-hmm. end up, you know, taking nines on par fours and stuff like that. Right. But whereas poker, you could turn up at the World Series like Jamie Gold or Jerry Yang and win $12 million. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I think with people I know as well, and, certain, and even myself back in the day when I first started playing, you can easily convince yourself or the cards and your results over a short run or even a long run, uh, whatever you would consider, you know, maybe six months, a year, or even longer here, you know, people can get deluded and, as you say, become lazy. And it really is what percentage is luck. And people still can't, it's hard to quantify that. And I think that's what starts you. And that's why everyone says, you know, yourself, you always advocate it's process over outcome and always the process and, you know, get your reps in and stuff. But I genuinely see people and know people that play poker and they're so-called professionals. And they say to me, I just I just know they're fundamentally bad. You know, I'm not saying oh, I'm yes. fundamentally strong, but I'm not saying I'm a professional poker player. You know, it's like right. these people are, and they're saying this, and oh, they know this, and that. And I think, I said it to a friend the other day, I actually think that they, in their minds, they're immune to it. You know, it's like, mm. no, it's fine. I'm, I, yeah, but not me. I know what I'm doing. I can turn up and, you know, <laughs> it's just... I, I find it quite funny. Um, now, the more you delve into the game, that it can delude people big time mm-hmm. into thinking they've cracked it. And then all of a sudden, over six months to a year, their bank is <coughs> depleted. They can't play the lower stakes. And then they say, oh, you can't beat poker anymore. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? it's, I know it's definitely when I was not working on my game as much and I was a little bit more arrogant it was because playing poker was fun it was I just wanted to go play poker and when I was losing I was really mad at the game and everybody else because it wasn't fun I was blaming everybody else for my problems and the thought of (coughs) excuse me guys uh, the thought of studying during those times just wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't even tempting. It just wasn't even a thought. It was just it, when I'm sitting down and I win sometimes, and I seem to win pretty well, I just want to never not play poker. And, yeah, and then you two, two years down the line, you're not winning, and you go back and there's all these things you missed, and it becomes really difficult to catch up. And I think... Something we've touched on before is you have to get to the point where winning or losing does not mean anything. I was not there for a long time, and when I did play, I, I think it could show. I just I wasn't the person I used to be when I was at. I, I had a lot of fear. Uh, I was just really unnerved. Uh, and uh, to to be frank with you, I I just I realize I'm not a player that can be backed. Uh, I feel really guilty uh, continuing to lose because if a, a wealthy backer takes you on, like he will hold on to you until you've lost a lot of his money, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, in the long run, okay, you're going to win whatever it is, the 2K at the Bellagio and pay him back. But in the meantime, every day that guy has to feel the loss, right? And that's really hard to do if you're somebody who actually cares about other people. So there's a lot of callous individuals who don't care about losing I you would not believe some of the makeup totals I deal with 400,000 500,000 and stuff like that I hear uh and you know they send the guy to me as like a last resort because the guy just doesn't even care he's just no put me in a 10 care I don't want to play again I uh, I was about to say I wish I was like that but I'm actually I'm really glad I'm not but you have to get to a point you do not care about winning so much as keeping a form, keeping your discipline, keeping your game, keeping your focus, being the guy who can throw your pitch, and to know you've worked it on, to know you have perfected it, to know you've worked through it, to know you know why you're doing it. If you can get to that point, and you're proud of your game, and you have the opportunity to to apply it, that's where you want to be. And it's really hard to get to that place because money makes people do weird things. It's I uh, Every day I'm on the subway with people that look like they're inches from death, but they're going to go, you know, they got done working on Wall Street at 4 a.m. yesterday, and 
8.45 a.m., 7.30 a.m. that day, they're going back in. They literally, like, went to their apartment and slept three and a half hours, and they're back out the door. Because yeah. all to make, well, you make 120000 a year, uh, 80 hours a week, two weeks of vacation, that's, what, $30 an hour? Like, what kind of life is that? And the fact is, and I'm not criticizing if that's what you choose to do in life, that's fine. But the fact that so many people would choose that over any other profession shows how much financial incentives bias human beings, that you could sacrifice years of your life, like literal years of your life, uh, like willfully going into a prison for three, five, seven years, whatever it is, in your internship or your uh, university and if your university is very demanding, say law school or something like that, people make that bargain every single day. So what, how tempting is it just to play for money that you can get in seconds in poker? Like, what does that do to the human mind? What, there, there's a book on neuroeconomics, Your Money and Your Brain, that is a fascinating read. For anyone who wants to do this for a living, I want you to see how much biology you're up against. And it takes years to reroute your brain to not care about it. It's probably taken... I have been a professional gambler my entire adult life. I went pro at 18. I'm about to turn 30, and I think right now is the point where I don't care about financial outcomes. I care about my game, my application of the game, my version of No Limit Hold'em, my ideas, my process, my application. That is what I care about, but it takes so long, and it's all about practice. And Many people don't have respect for the practice. It's all about the money. But you, you get the money. A, a, a fool and his money are soon parted is not a parable because it doesn't happen. And it happens every single time in poker. When I hear a guy took out his entire bankroll and bought a house, I'm always proud of that guy. I always go, that's the smartest guy in the room. Because I cannot tell you how many poker players have made $5 million and... Can't, can't, can't make the mortgage payments on their $200,000 house. Like, just can't do it, you know, can't make the, they got a, you know, they got a Beamer, but they can't fill it with gas. I can't, I can't tell you how many guys I know like that. So, okay. yeah, anyway, uh, we're wildly on topic as per usual. All right, let's yeah. go, Barry. No, it's good. It's all on topic. Um, okay, this one is a guy that emailed in way back um, 30th of September, so... He sent in quite a long email, and I'm just going to read it verbatim to do him justice, and I've put it off for ages. So, um, this one is from Jimmy Winkler, the guy's name is, and his subject is, Bad play will keep you up at night. Barry Alex, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I've been listening to the podcast since before the Ask Alex episode started. I have really enjoyed the show. On my way to playing the $365 WSOP circuit event at Horseshoe, Southern Indiana, Louisville, I listened to the newest episode, In It To Be In It, and was just in a good mindset to show up, not just show up. Now on to the scenario on hand in question. We were down to 34 players from 233, with 26 advancing to day two. The tournament clock said chip average was around 58k. We have been down on on a downturn and now have 44k in chips but still have three people at our table out chipped and one with a similar stack. I've been at this table for about three levels, 30 minute levels, I think my image is pretty tight, maybe even leaning towards weak tight to the thinking players. I haven't had any hands and when I try to make a move I have gotten four bet or C bet and gotten called and not been able to continue in pots. I have three bet a few times pre-flop and laid it down to four bets twice in the past two orbits. The only hand we have shown down is a blind-on-blind -blind battle that we won with 6-7 off versus 5-7 off. So, blinds are 1,000-2,000 with a 300-ante, 9-handed table. We are in middle position and it is folded to us. We look down at jacks and raise to 6,600. The first question is, is this just a shove and hope to take down the 5,700 in dead money and increase our stack by 13% uh, or what is a better sizing? Um, do you want me to carry on, or do you want to answer that as like a little... Well, uh, let's carry on. Okay, back to the action. We get a call in the hijack by a player that has been playing way too many hands and calling down all the way to the river with the second best hand. His stack is around 70k. The big blind also completes the action with a stack of around 85k. The player in the big blind has only been at the table about 40 minutes and has been fairly active but hasn't shown down many hands. 
Pot size is now 23,500. The flop is Ace 8 2 Rainbow. Checks around. Should I be C betting this flop texture with Jack Jack rep- repping an ace? Turn is another ace. Two rainbow board, no flush draws, big blind checks. We bet 20k hoping that big blind caught an eight and will continue. Pot size 43,500 leaving us with 17,000 behind. Loose player in late position folds, big blind puts us all in. Looking at calling off 17k in a pot of 88.5000. I reluctantly call knowing I am beat just on the off chance that he has an 8. Do we call getting these odds? We all know how this goes. Big blind has an ace and no jack on the river. Out in 34th and being kept up all night by this bad play. The he had ace queen by the way. Looking back I think I should have uh, bet 8 to 10k on the turn leaving me with 27 to 29k. So I could get away if either player shoved or even checked again. What is the best line to take here? I have purchased my master the flop. Just haven't started the course yet. Plan is to start that today. Thank you for both the podcast and Alex. Thank you for all the content that you're putting out, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. Thank you for your question. Um, first off, your race size is good. You don't have to jam there. You have quite a few chips. Anytime you open... Generally, what you don't want to happen, there's a few things that are really good that can happen when you open, and there's a few things that aren't so good. Number one is everybody folds. Believe it or not, this is actually really good for you. Uh, If everybody folds, and let's say there were two big blinds out there, that means you're making 200 big blinds per 100 downs. That's pretty nice. Now, obviously... With jacks, I think you can get that up to like 400, 500 if someone calls. But 200 is not bad. Like, that's pretty safe money. That's good money. The second thing that could happen that's really good is one person calls you out of position, especially with a very wide range that is apt to make lesser pairs. In this situation, um, we would like the big blind to call us. Uh, so what's really bad that can happen whenever we open is one multiple callers, multiple, uh, multi-way pots. You have to hit a hand to continue. Uh, as we saw, it can be very hard to guess where your hand ranks at any particular time. The other thing that can be a bad, uh, which is bad 90% of the time is somebody three butts us in position when that <coughs> something you're, this, this hand actually documents like five things that are in Master the Flop, which was why I had so much fun putting that together, because it, it was the first time I ever put together a system uh, for post-flop. And one of the things I wanted to discuss there, or I did discuss there, is if, if somebody three-bets you and is able to apply position, bigger pot, superior hands, heads up on you, According to every analytic on Earth, that person's just making hundreds of big blinds uh, per hundred hands. E- even if they're doing it with a very, a pretty wide range, even a, you know, even like a six-seven suited is making sixty big blinds per hundred or something like that. Whereas, a lot of times, guys, even with like pocket tens out of position, flatting a bet, are making like fifty big blinds per hundred. Now, if you four bet, now you're making a ton of money again. And fortunately, this is a hand that you could four-bet pretty well. I mean, you could four-bet. And you... The question is, are people more likely to three-bet you if you open small or just call you? Now, since this is a live game, it sounds like, I assume they're just going to call you a lot of the time when you open. So I like your bigger raise, which is a little bit more likely to get the big blind to call. Now, so you open. Oh, the... You open, and you get called by two guys. That's fine. Uh, Comes around, uh, the board came, ace, what was it, ace, eight, two, I think it was. And everybody checked to you, and your question there was, should you bet? Uh, The system I teach in Master the Flop is, well, there's two different, uh, there's an order of operations that should be followed. And we discussed this a bit in the videos, which is, okay, I am betting. The first thing is you should be trying to bet as much as possible. Betting has multiple benefits. Uh, One being 
that if somebody raises you on the flop, turn a river, nine times out of ten they have it, according to every database I'm looking at. Uh, that's not to say you shouldn't try to identify that one person out of ten uh, who doesn't have it, but if you always miss that person, you would still be right 90% of the time, which means you'd still get an A grade for folding. Now, betting has that benefit, which it allows you to clarify your hand's ranking very easily, and it also, uh, as we can remember from uh, the Theory of Poker by David Sklansky. It has numerous benefits. You could get more money from a lesser hand. You could fold a greater hand, or you could possibly slow down uh, superior hands and allow yourself to get more cards and beat this hand. This is very likely when you're in position. And the turn, you know, the guy's probably going to check to you a lot of the time after you bet the flop, and you get to, to decide if you want to see the river card. So this is, again, why I'm always saying position, bigger pot, superior hands, heads up. If you can do all these things, it's really easy to range one person. It's really easy to see more cards in position. It's really easy to get bigger bets uh, when you do hit your hand, right? So the first thing is always be betting. The second thing is when you're considering a bet, and remember, a, a bet could be a raise. So if somebody bets in you, you should always consider a raise uh, first. There's a lot of times you're missing bluffs because you've just never even considered raising a guy. Uh, a great example of that is, let's say the board comes 7-5-2, all clubs. Somebody bets into you and you have pocket fours, no club. Uh, or let's say one club. A lot of guys talk about that as if it's a binary equation. Do we call or do we fold? There is a raise option. Yes, you would be turning your hand into a bluff, but again, you have third pair with a four-high flush draw. I don't think that's any great loss. And this is actually a board that's pretty decent to raise on. Many times your opponent will have C-bet with a hand that does not include a club or will not continue with a club because it's too weak or perhaps will bet fold a pair. But because most people never consider the raise, it, it's never been done by them. Therefore, they're missing a very crucial piece to their no-limit hold'em game. Now, going back to the situation at hand, you consider a bet and you have to ask yourself, is it for value or is it a bluff? Now here, you unfortunately have something that's a little in between, but I'm going to go with value. So, because if you bet, uh, I don't think you're going to get an ace to fold. Uh, so if you're betting as a bluff, you say, I'm betting X into Y, which needs to work this percentage of the time because I believe these hands are going to fold, which is this percentage of his range, right? If you can try to fill out that sentence every hand, you will become a much more deliberate and competent No Limit Hold'em player very, very quickly, even if you're just trying and not fail, in not succeeding and ranging incorrectly and correcting yourself later or correcting yourself with a coach, you'll become much, much better than the people who are autopiloting. Uh, now, in this case, I think if you tried to fill out both sentences, which is, okay, the value bet sentence is I'm betting X into Y because I expect these hands to call me, which are weaker, I think you would have... Uh, I think you'd have a hard time filling out either sense, which is, okay, I'm betting half pot or whatever it is because I expect 8x to call me. Now, always fill out the specific hands, 9-8 nine, eight, nine, eight suited, 10-8 suited, jack-8 suited, 8-7 suited, 8-6 suited. If you think and always test yourself, are these hands that he would actually do the previous action with? Would he call from the small blind with 8x? Would he call uh, out of the big blind with 8x? Furthermore, what percentage of his hands is this? This is probably, you know, this is a pretty slim percentage of his range where a lot of people will play any ace from any position, so that's probably a pretty big percentage of his range. I think if you tried to fill out these sentences, you probably would have gotten bleh. I, I don't really find a way to fill either of these out, so you check. Okay, that's fine. Now on the, tur now on the, on the turn, uh, he checks to you on the pair days. And uh, I think you make a very good bet here, but in, in theory, a good bet, uh, but the sizing is off. Because you are, if the guy check jams into you, anytime you're calling me, the sense I have you guys fill out is I am at the end of Master the Flop is I'm calling X into Y, which means I have to be this percentage of the time because I beat these hands, which are, is this part of his range, right? Now, by the way, when you're playing, it's really hard to do this. Uh, but you should at least be trying to do it in hand history reviews uh, to make sure you don't, once you get some normalcy with this in 
the context of poker, it's going to come to you more coherently in the moment. Now, you think about it, and here you're saying I'm calling X to win Y, which was, I think it was, we were calling 17K to win 82K, which means uh, my bet needs to be success. You need to be right about 20% of the time there because you're actually calling 17 to win 99. Uh, I think 82 plus 17, yeah, that's right, because 99K is going to come back to you uh, when you're right. So, yeah, it's, so it's 17% of the time or whatever it is, 18% of the time. You have to be right, but I think your hand is good about 5 10% of the time because that's about how often a guy puts you in there with an 8. So I don't think this is a call. So you have to say, I'm, ca- I'm calling here because I beat 8x, and I think that's this percentage of his range. Now, I don't know if an 8 makes up more than 20% of his combos, period, and I, then I don't think he's jamming that often with all of them. But even if you just said, you don't, even if you get halfway through the sentence before someone calls the clock on you, it's going to help you, which is, I am calling 17 to win 99, which needs to work, whatever, roughly 20% of the time. I'm... I'm doing this because he's jamming an eight. Wait a minute. Is he really jamming an eight? Or would he just call me? Uh, and then, okay, uh, whatever. Okay, I'm going to fold. Whereas here, you did write us quite a bit of text, and I, I didn't really feel that thought process in any of the text, which was I was just calling, hoping against hope, which is, no, 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 no. Now you're playing Kino. You're not, you're not playing cards. Okay? You got you to, it's okay if you have the wrong reason, because you can improve upon the wrong reason, but you can't have no reason. And uh, hold on a second. Somebody, my next student is calling. And let's see. Uh, what? So I guess I do have to run here in just a second, Barry. But, no problem. Uh, okay, that derailed me just a bit. But you do want to go through that. And I think you were doing a very good play on that turn, which was you were buying the showdown. You were betting the turn so they would call you and then check the river to you. So you had to ask, so is that a value bet? Always be betting, first order of operations, second order. Is it a value bet or a bluff bet? I think at this point it's a more safe value bet. Three, okay, I am betting X to get Y to call me, right? Uh, I'm betting 10K to get 8X to call me, and I think that's good. And, uh, well, it looks like I have to go here because my student keeps calling me. But... uh, (laughs) Yeah, and uh, hope hope that helps you, Jimmy. Okay, well, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your products, etc.? Go ahead and write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com, and if you want to talk to me about lessons or anything, uh, sign up for my newsletter at pokerheadrush.com. That's also my blog if you'd like to check that out. And tweet me at the Assassinato on Twitter. Check out my articles on America's Card Room and check out my training videos at Tournament Poker Edge. Okay. And thanks for all the questions. Keep them coming in. Questions at oneouter.com and we will get them read out on next week's show. Alex, go forth and teach the paying customer. <laughs> will do. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set-and-go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner-take-all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.